0: Okay, everybody, would you take out your Bibles, or if you're going to be reading off your phone or your tablet, whatever you've got, uh, turn to Romans chapter 3 today. We're slowly working our way through the book of Romans, and we've come to the last paragraph of chapter 3, verses 27 to 31. And so the title of our message today is, Justification Through Faith Alone justification through faith alone. And as we're working through the text, Ola's going to put up an outline here to help you follow. So you might take a look at that from time to time. But we will go ahead and start just by reading the text. Romans 3, 27 to 31. Before we do, let's just bow our heads and ask God's help. Lord, we pray for your help as we get to work on opening up this text. Lord, I pray that you'd give grace that we would not, Lord, that I would not um, interpret this falsely in any way. We pray for help for everybody who hears, that they would hear it as though God himself were in the room speaking straight to them. Lord, teach us what we need to learn from this text. Help us to go out from this place changed people. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 3.27 Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed... God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now, as we've been working through the book of Romans, we've come to this major section on justification by faith. It starts in verse 21, and Paul takes it through the rest of uh, chapter 3 through verse 31. He also takes us through chapter 4, where he illustrates this truth in the life of Abraham, and then he gives us the fruits of justification in chapter 5. So really, it's chapters 3, 4, and 5 that Paul is devoting to this great doctrine of justification by faith. This is the doctrine that separates evangelicals from Catholics, because they have a different understanding of justification. Martin Luther... If you're not familiar with who Martin Luther is, he lived in the 16th century, and he was the guy that God picked out and really chose to spearhead what we call now the Protestant Reformation. Before the Protestant Reformation, you had one church, the Roman Catholic Church. Well, you also had the Eastern Orthodox Church, but that's it. Um, Anybody who didn't agree with what was taught by the Roman Catholic Church would have to leave that church, and they would be persecuted. Many died. Many were burned at the stake. Um... It was a hard life. Luther was the guy God chose, pulled out, and said, you're going to be like my boar. <laughs> uh, by boar, I mean that male hog who is going to be the guy just running into things and shaking things up, and he did. But this is what Luther had to say. Justification by faith is the head and cornerstone of the church, which alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and protects the church. Without it, the church of God cannot subsist one hour. Neither can anyone teach correctly in the church or successfully resist any adversary if he does not maintain this doctrine. Luther said, this is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. If you don't understand justification by faith, the the church will fall. If you understand it, the church will stand. That's how important he looked at this doctrine. The Protestant reformers organized their protests under five solas. And sola is the Latin word for alone. And so these are the five solas. Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, and the glory of God alone. Now, when they said... All these things alone is what we stand for. They were standing against the whole institutional church of their day because the institutional church did not believe in Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, and the glory of God alone. They were taking a stand for these things. We we call we call ourselves Protestants because we are protesting, well at least back in the sixteenth century. I don't know how many people protest anymore, but they were protesting against the abuses of the institutional church, and they wanted to get back to pure doctrine, the doctrine of the Scripture. That's where Luther saw this great doctrine of justification by faith. Now, when we talk about that, what are we talking about? What do we mean when we say justification through faith alone? We mean this. A sinner is made right with God... And credited with God's righteousness, not because of his own good deeds, but only through his faith in Jesus Christ. That's really, when you boil down this doctrine, that's what we mean by it. It has nothing to do with our works, or our performance, or our obedience. It has to do with Christ's work, Christ's performance, and Christ's obedience. And as we put our faith in him, we are united to that living Savior who credits to us everything that he accomplished in his perfect life, in his substitutionary death on the cross. So that's justification through faith alone. Now, when you come to verse 28, it says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law, when Luther made his translation from the Hebrew and the Greek into German, he translated verse 28 this way. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law. He inserted that little word alone. And he was severely criticized by it. Because actually the Greek does not have the word alone in it. He added the word And so he was criticized severely by the Roman Catholic Church of his day. This is how he responded to it. Now, I have to explain. A papist, by when we talk about papist, we mean the Pope. So when I start reading this and I read the word papist, you'll know what I'm talking about. He said, if your papist makes much useless fuss about the word alone, tell him at once Dr. Martin Luther will have it so. Are the papists doctors? Are they learned? So am I. Are they preachers? So am I. Are they theologians? So am I. Therefore, the word alone shall remain in my New Testament, and although all papal donkeys get furious, they shall not take it out. (laughs) That's why they called him the the wild boar. (laughs) um, Now, it is true. The word alone is not in the Greek. So when he put that word in, he was putting in a word that was not in the original language. But what he was doing was what so many of our translations do today. They're adding words or taking away words to give the sense of the original. Like uh, the New Living Translation. That's more of a paraphrase than an actual literal translation. But what they often do is add or take away words to give you the sense that the author had when he wrote it. Now, let's read it again. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So if you're justified by faith apart from works of the law, aren't you justified by faith alone? Okay. I think he would, the, the translation that he came up with gave the correct sense of what Paul was trying to say. Now, as we work through this text, there are three consequences of justification that Paul is going to bring out. He's going to tell us that it excludes boasting, it abolishes distinctions, and it establishes the law. Those are the three things that we draw out from these five verses. So let's take a look. Number one, he says, justification through faith alone excludes boasting. 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Notice in verse 27, he says, where then is boasting? Where then? The word then tells you that he's drawing some kind of a conclusion by what he's already said, right? Where then? In other words, taking into account what I've just told you, where then is boasting? Well, what did Paul already say in verses 21 to 26 that would tell him that boasting is forever excluded? Let's go back to it. In verse 21, he says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as what? A gift by what? His grace (laughs) through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Did you see how often He's talking about faith and believing in this text? Verse 22 Faith, believe, verse 25, faith, verse 26, faith in Jesus. What he's emphasizing is that God's justification, his gift of righteousness to us, came not as a result of the works of the law. It wasn't through obedience to God's law that this righteousness became ours. It was a gift God gave us through his grace. And the only thing that we did to receive this gift of righteousness was faith. We believed in Christ. We put our trust and our faith in Jesus. And at that moment, God's righteousness became ours. Now, if that's true, if your righteous standing before God had nothing to do with what you did but only through faith in Christ, how much of the Christian life can you boast in? Nothing. Salvation is 100% God and 0% you. Now you did believe, but even the faith that you put in Jesus Christ is a gift of God's grace. I I didn't plan to go into those scriptures, and we can on a different time if you want to, but there are many scriptures that tell us that even faith is the product of the work of the Spirit of God enabling us to turn from that old life and embrace a new life. We had no, like we were just talking before about the Bible and how it was so boring and we couldn't read it. What changed? Did we just automatically just decide to change our nature and our heart one day so that the Bible was interesting and exciting? No, God did that. God changes the heart. God changes the nature so that these things come alive to us. And when he does that, faith becomes something that we uh, were able to do. So, that's the summary of 21 to 26. Our salvation had nothing to do with our works, our efforts, our performance. It had to do with what God did through Jesus Christ. Now, he says in verse 20, this righteousness was apart from the law. In verse 28, he says, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. If, if our justification had nothing to do with our works of the law, then how can we go around boasting about our salvation if we had nothing to do with it. That's his point. The interesting thing is that everybody really enjoys boasting in their accomplishments. Right? I mean, let's be honest. We we do... <laughs> I enjoy it. I, in my, I own a window cleaning business and I, I've got employees and if I do really a job really fast, I'll get on there and I'll text all the guys and said, Hey, I was making so much an hour on this job just because I like to kind of boast a little bit, <laughs> and they know it, they know it. There is an Atlanta restaurant that serves fried chicken, and out in front of this restaurant they had a sign, and this is what it said, if the colonel had our chicken recipe, he'd be a general. <laughs> so they're, 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 they like to boast a little bit. <laughs> and when I was a kid growing up, I would often go on, and Howard Cosell would be on there interviewing Muhammad Ali, I don't know how many of you are even old enough to remember these days, but he'd be interviewing Muhammad Ali, and Muhammad Ali would always love to say, I am the greatest. I am the greatest boxer who's ever lived. He would say that all the time. He loved to boast. And if if we were honest, there's something about that that we kind of enjoy. But the the problem with all of that is God doesn't like it when we boast. It's the whole reason God designed salvation the way he did because he hates boasting and he wants there to be nobody who can ever boast or take credit for what he's done. That's what he tells us in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works. Why? That no one should boast. <laughs> if, if salvation was a product of our works, we'd go around boasting. God knows that. So he designed a way to save us that we can't do it. I wanted to read to you from 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31, because Paul really lays it out there. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. He says, Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world, and the despised, God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. So what's he saying here? God hasn't chosen the kind of people that we normally would think he would, like the wise and the mighty and the rich and the influential and the movers and the shakers and all those kinds of people. He hasn't chosen very many of those types of people. Instead, who did he choose? The weak, the base, Um, the foolish and the despised. Now, why would God do that? Why would He choose those kinds of people to be in His kingdom? Yeah. Look at verse 29. So that no man may boast before God. That's why He did it. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Why? Why? So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now we're told in verse 29, God designed salvation so that no one could boast in themselves. And in verse 31, so that everyone who did boast would boast in him. So God hates boasting. And God has designed salvation this way. Boasting is the verbal expression of pride. And God hates pride. It's one of the deadly sins. It was the sin that took Lucifer and got him cast out of heaven because he wanted to be like the Most High God, and so he was cast out. And it'll be our undoing, brothers and sisters. We need to crush pride. We need to kill pride in our life. We we ought not feed it. We ought to fight it instead. If pride reemerges in heaven, God will have to cast out of heaven anyone who exercises pride. Pride is contrary to a humble creature made in God's image. Now he goes on to say, wrote back in Romans three twenty-seven, by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now here what Paul is doing is he's telling us that faith is that thing which causes boasting to go away forever. Faith eliminates boasting. Faith eliminates any idea of self-help or self-improvement or self-salvation because the nature of faith is that it looks away from itself to someone else. Right? That's what faith does. I I don't have faith in me. (laughs) That's no faith at all. True faith is I'm looking away from myself and I'm looking to Jesus Christ as the one who can save me. So if that's true... That's, that's why it eliminates boasting, because I'm not looking to myself anymore. When you go and you witness and you share the gospel with people and you say, well, why do you expect to go to heaven? 99 out of 100 will start pointing to themselves. Have you ever noticed that? Well, it's because I'm a good person. It's because I try to keep the golden rule. Because I'm generous. Because I'm kind. They always use the word I, because I, 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 I. There's no faith in that. They're not demonstrating faith when they talk about themselves as the reason they're going to heaven. Faith says, it's not me, it's Christ. And my dependence and my hope and my trust is all in him. All my eggs are in one basket. 100% of my my trust is in him. There's not a a lick of of trust left in myself. There's nothing left here because I, I distrust myself. I know what a sinner I am. That's why my trust is in him alone. So, Matthew Henry put it this way. Faith is a depending, self-emptying, self-denying grace and casts every crown before the throne. The one who trusts in Christ expects salvation to come from outside of himself, from above. The one who expects salvation from himself is looking within and he's looking below. Let's say you're... Drowning out at sea, the lifeguard swims out there, and he saves you. He rescues you. When he resuscitates you, and you come back to life, and you're aware of your conscious surroundings, do you start saying, you should have seen how great I was at letting that lifeguard save me. (laughs) I mean, I, I just went limp in his arms. It was radical. You should have seen me do it. You know, we say, that's ridiculous, right? No no one brags about how they let somebody save them. But that's what it's like for us to go around boasting in anything that we do. We're just, we've, we've been saved. He gets the glory, right? He gets the glory. The old hymn writer put it best. He said, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul... I, to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. That talks about faith, saving faith in Christ. Now, folks, any religious system that fosters boasting is a false religious system. And there are many. If you think that you're better than others because of how many doors you knock on, or how many awake magazines you give out, or the fact that you were married in some temple or that you went on a two-year mission or that you pray seven times on your prayer rug towards Mecca or you fast during Ramadan or you are seeking nirvana by your re- rigorous discipline or you are obeying God's law of the Old Testament and you expect salvation because of your efforts. That's fostering pride and human achievement and that's a false religious system. Only biblical Christianity teaches that we are saved through faith alone, and it has nothing to do with our works, our deeds. True religion humbles the sinner and exalts God. And if the religion that you're looking at is not humbling the sinner and exalting God, you've got the wrong one. You've got the wrong one. True biblical Christianity declares that salvation is all of God. So, that's the first thing that Paul is laboring to get across, Justification through faith alone. The first consequence: it's going to abolish and exclude all boasting. It makes us humble, and that's a good, good thing. If you find yourself being puffed up with pride, maybe you're losing sight of the doctrine of justification through faith alone. You've lost sight of the fact how, how God saved you. Number two: this doctrine abolishes distinctions. It abolishes distinctions. Now that may not make sense at first, but let me help you understand this. Um, verses 29 and 30. he says, "Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Now what he's doing here in these verses is he's restating what he already told us in Gen- or uh, Romans chapter three, verse 22 where he says there, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. All Jews, all Gentiles have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now he's dabbling in that again in verses 29 and 30. You see, the Jew thought that God was the God of Jews only. That's what he was talking about when Paul said back in Romans 2.17. He says, but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God. How did the Jew boast in God? He boasted that God was his God. He boasted that he had a monopoly on God. That... The Jews were the only nation that God had made this covenant with. And they felt a little superior, a little proud, a little lifted up because they were God's special covenant people of the Old Testament. But here Paul is telling us, wait a minute. What's the truth about all this? Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Now, think this through. Some were saying, yes, God is the God of Jews only. But Paul's saying, no, there's only one God. He tells us that in the end of verse 30. Since indeed God is one, there's only one God. So if God is the God of Jews only, then who's the God of everybody else? Is there another God? No, there's only one God. So he must be the God of Jews and of Gentiles. And if he's the God of all people, then it only makes sense that he has one way of saving all people which is what he tells us in verse 30. That way is through faith in Christ. So what we find here is that the gospel is the great leveler. Every person, Jew or Gentile, stands at the same level at the foot of the cross. There's nobody who is any more superior or better than anybody else. We're all fallen, we're all ruined, we're all undone because of our sin, and we stand condemned before God in ourselves... And it's only Christ's work that can change that fact. It's the great leveler. All of us need righteousness. The only way to have this righteousness is through faith in Christ. The Jews are no longer some kind of privileged nation. All people are sinful. All people are dead in their sins. All need a savior, Jew and Gentile alike. And that's what Paul is telling us here in these verses. Now, let's draw out some application from this. It's unbiblical... And it's wrong to see ourselves as superior to others and look down on them. And we do this in a couple of different ways that I thought of. Number one, by racism. Well, here in America, let's just go back 150 years before the Civil War. Whites really consider themselves to be superior to blacks. They even believed that the blacks had black skin because that was the mark of Cain, all the way back from Genesis chapter 4, I believe it is. Um, That it was God's curse on them. And that they were inferior, that they could not think. They were not as intelligent as whites. They couldn't do the same things the whites did. They had to be kept down and just kept to their own sphere, which was just labor. Hard labor. Let's go back... 75 years, maybe, to World War II, and we have Hitler and the Germans, and you remember how they treated the Jews. They looked at them as vermin. They looked at them as needing to be exterminated because they were an inferior race. The Germans were the superior race, the Aryan race, over all others. And you can trace this through all kinds of different places. You know, it happens, it happens between all kinds of people and all kinds of nations. And brothers and sisters, it's sin. It's wrong because we're not superior. There is no race or nation or nationality that is any superior to any other nation. We are all made in the image of God. We're all created in his image. And if we start having the superior spirit to somebody else just because of their nationality, we're sinning against God. It's the opposite of humility. That's pride. And God hates that. Racism is what has caused much of the hatred and violence in the world today. Take away all racism and you're going to alleviate a lot of the world from the violence that we see. So that's the first way I I thought of how this applies to us. We need to be careful. We need to be very careful of that. Now sometimes this superior spirit manifests itself in religious elitism. And what I mean by that is people who think that they belong to the only true religious group that God will accept. In other words, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to be saved, you have to join their group, whatever that is. It's an elitist spirit. That's how you can know a cult. They're, they'll be authoritarian, and they will be elitist. They will tell you that unless you join their group, their religious group, you can't be saved. This is true of the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's true of the Mormons. It's even true of other groups like um, Church of Christ. I've had I have a very good friend in the Church of Christ, and he told me that I wasn't saved because I didn't belong to his particular religious group. Um, whenever you start, I, I would just counsel you guys: if you if you find yourself involved in a group that says we are the one true church, God isn't saving anybody outside this group, run, get out of that place. More than likely, it's a cult. And and God despises this religious elitism. We need to embrace our brothers and sisters who have been saved, who have been justified through faith alone throughout the world, no matter what nationality they are, what age they are, what... Uh, gender they are, they are God's people. If they've been born of his spirit, we unite ourselves with them. They are our brothers and our sisters and they don't have to be part of the bridge. Thank God, because we can only hold 35 people. (laughs) But wouldn't it be terrible if only 35 people are going to heaven? God has got his people throughout the world, all over the place in all kinds of denominations. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are saved by his blood. So we need to beware of that. Um, that, that's the first application that comes to me as I take a look at this. The second one is that there's only one way of salvation. Because he tells us in verse 30 that God will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, and that God is one. So, how will God justify them? Through faith. Faith in who? In Christ. Now, the reason I bring that up is because we live in such a um, an open, tolerant world that doesn't want to proclaim absolute truth. They don't believe in absolute truth anymore. They believe that everyone's got their own way to God. All ways are valid. So, um, you know, the old slogan, all roads lead to God. As long as you're sincere, every road will eventually get you there. And in a sense, it's true. All roads will lead to God. Every man, woman, and child who's ever lived is going to stand before God and be judged one day. It's going to lead to God, but will it lead to acceptance with God? That's the question. If you're a sincere Jew or Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or whatever, is that all it takes? Will God accept you simply because you're sincere? Does that road lead to acceptance with God and entrance into His eternal kingdom? According to the Scripture, you must have faith in Jesus Christ to be justified. If a person does not possess faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior and his Lord, he cannot be justified. And if he cannot be justified, he won't be with him forever. So there is one way of salvation. Remember when God decided that he was going to destroy the world in Noah's day? He had Noah build an ark. How many arks did he have him build? One. In the days of Moses, when he was going to save his people from being bitten by those poisonous serpents, how many bronze serpents lifted up on a pole did he have Moses build? One. There was always one way of escape, one way of salvation. There's not two. There's not 10. There's not 200. There's one. And I know people say, you Christians are so dogmatic, and you're so arrogant, and you're so intolerant. Folks, all we're trying to do is repeat what God has already said, and we can't do anything else than that. God has the truth. We don't. If we want to know the truth, we have to look at what He's told us. And this is what He's told us. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. Now that's pretty narrow. But those are the words of the One who predicted He was going to die and rise again and then did. Do you believe that Jesus Christ can be trusted as a religious teacher? If He can be trusted then what he says is true. And there is no way that we can be presented to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That's not just what Jesus said either. It's what the Apostle Peter said in the book of Acts. In chapter 4, when Peter was brought before the Sanhedrin, he said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's why when we evangelize, we, we don't exclude evangelizing Other religious people, like Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists, we take the gospel to every person. Because no matter how sincere they are, they need Christ. I mean, think about it. How how can a person, no matter how sincere they are, stand before God accepted without an atonement for his sin? There's no way. And there's only one blood atonement that will suffice. God has said it's the blood of His Son. The blood of bulls and goats will never satisfy God. It must be the blood of a perfect man who died in the place for guilty sinners. So it only makes sense that only a person that goes through Christ, because he's the only atonement that satisfies the wrath of God and appeases his wrath and enables God to accept us freely. It's the only way we can be reconciled, it's the only way we can obtain a perfect righteous standing. Is through Jesus Christ. So justification through faith alone excludes boasting. And it abolishes distinctions. And then the third thing it does is it establishes the law. That's what he tells us in verse 31. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now what does he mean by nullify? Do we then nullify the law? It means, do we then say that the law has come to an end? That it ceases to exist? That it has no purpose anymore? That it has no value anymore? Yeah, it's ineffective. It doesn't do anything. And Paul's answer is, may that never be? No, 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 is what he's saying. No, the law still has a role and a purpose and it still has value but its value is not that it enables sinners to be saved through keeping it. That's what he's already told us back in 19 and 20. Look at, look at verse 19 and 20. He says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of, of sin. That's what he said in verse 28. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So the law was never given to save us. Never. Not in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. There is no person who has ever been saved by keeping the law. That was not its role. That was not God's function for the law. God's function for the law is that it would lead us to Christ who would justify us. The purpose of the law is to make us thirsty for the living water. It's to make us hungry for the true bread come down from heaven. It's to show us our sin so that it drives us to the one alone who can save us, which is Christ. Now, how does justification by faith establish the law? Well, we're told here that we are justified through faith when we realize our sin and we realize that we need someone greater than ourselves to save us. That's what the law does. The law drives us to Jesus Christ, who then justifies us. Back in verse 19, the law does three things. It closes every mouth, right? It makes all the world accountable to God, and it gives us the knowledge of sin. closes our mouth, makes us accountable to God, and gives us the knowledge of sin. That's exactly what every person needs in order to be saved. Their mouth must be closed. In other words, we stop making excuses and stop justifying ourselves and defending ourselves. The law, you know, there's nothing you can say anymore. The law tells you you're guilty. You're guilty and you deserve condemnation. It makes you accountable to God, which means it brings you under God's judgment, and it reveals your sin to you. Now that's a very, very important purpose for the law. Some someone may say, "Well, the law really isn't very important. All it does is point you to Jesus." Well, would you say a mirror is not very important because it can't wash your face or it can't comb your hair? A mirror's got no value because it can't it can't can't wash your uh, face or comb your hair for you. Or a thermometer's got no value because it can't reduce your fever. All it can do is show you what your temperature is. No, those are the things that that thing was designed to do. And the law was designed to drive us to Jesus Christ to be saved through his merit. So that's why Paul is saying that the justification through faith alone establishes the law. It establishes the law in the sense that it tells us what the true purpose of the law always has been. Now for the person who's been converted, the law also serves to tell him what God is pleased with. What kind of life God desires us to live. Now, let's let's bring all this down to a conclusion. For the Christian, let me talk to two groups today. I don't know how many of you are Christians and how many of you are not, but let's assume that you have been saved. Let's just remember a couple of truths from this passage. The gospel eliminates all boasting from your life. Well, not completely all boasting. There is some boasting that you can do. And Paul tells us in Galatians 6.14, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So there is some boasting that you are able to do. You're able to boast in the cross of Christ, Do you do that? Do you boast in that? That's what God wants. In Psalm 115, the psalmist says, Not unto us, not unto us, but to thy name give glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 7, Paul says, What do you have that you have not received? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Folks, what do you have that you haven't received? Nothing. God has given to us everything that we have, especially in a spiritual sense. Our salvation has come from Him. Our faith has come from Him. Our new birth has come from Him. It's all come from God. So why do we go around boasting as if we had not received it? doesn't make any sense at all. So may God use the truth of justification through faith to humble us and make us walk humbly before our God. And then remember... The evil and the sin of racism, if it ever rears its ugly head in your life, kill it. If you ever start feeling superior to somebody else, recognize that as sin and repent of that. If it's happening in your heart even this morning, where you look down on Mexicans or Chinese or whatever it happens to be, you look down on them, you despise them, repent of that this morning. That's not honoring to God. Now, if you're not a Christian, let me just ask you, has God's law done its work in your own heart? Has God's law done its work? If it has not done its work in your heart, you don't need a gospel sermon. You need a law sermon because you need to be broken before God. You're not ready for the gospel unless you see your sin. And that's what the law does. Have you ever lied before? Have you ever stolen anything, regardless of what the value of that thing was? Have you ever lusted after someone that was not your spouse? Have you ever had sexual relations with anybody that you were not married to? Have you always honored your parents in everything you did, always obeyed them? Have you always loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? This is what the law tells us is our duty If you have broken God's law, and if God's going to judge you based on his law one day, are you going to be guilty or innocent? Outside of Christ, every one of us will be guilty. So if you're lost today, own your sin. Take responsibility for your sin. Confess your sin freely, honestly, humbly to God and ask that he would have mercy on you for Christ's sake. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. He alone can save you. And if you're not a believer today, I urge you, turn from your sin and put your trust in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word here. And the the beautiful truth of justification. Thank you, Lord, that you have declared us righteous in your sight. And it's not a temporary declaration. It's a permanent one. It's an eternal one. that we can stand accepted before you forever. That's glorious, Lord. Do your work in your people today, Lord, by your word, by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.